You're listening to Up to the Mic. If you want to learn about the struggles and triumphs of starting a business, performing for sold out arenas, or inspiring those you lead, Up to the Mic is the show for you. Throw on some headphones and get ready to listen as our host, Vinny Hale, sits down to showcase the stories of those who deserve their stories be told. From young entrepreneurs to critically acclaimed musicians and so much more, Vinny helps compile a season of interviews that inspire listeners to follow in the footsteps of his guest. Hey everybody, this is Vinny Hale and you're listening to Up to the Mic, where we sit down to dive deeper into topics that matter to you. My next guest is a supply chain analyst and graduate of Texas A&M University. He utilizes his experiences as a leader on Texas A&M's campus and within the corporate world to help solve client problems in his current role at Gopher Industrial. Now here to talk with me about all things business, passions, and education, my good friend, Dallin Jones. Thank you, sir. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> good. We're glad to have you. I um, have really been trying to get the interviews coming through more frequently, and I could think of no one better to talk to um, than one of my good friends, Dallin Jones. So I'm happy we can sit down today. Um, I see you're still in the office. You've always been a hard worker, so that's something that doesn't surprise me whatsoever. <laughs> For yeah, everybody. yeah. I, I tend to live here sometimes. I feel like people uh, text me when they pass by in the evenings. They're like, hey, you can go home now. It's fine. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Don't worry about me. <laughs> well, when you're someone that's out there trying to, I guess, grow and continue growing a business, that's kind of the way it works. But if yeah. um, for those of you out there that are listening, if you're friends of Dallin and I, and you kind of know the relationship, but for those of you that I have out there um, that are not so sure, Dallin and I, have been friends since high school. Yeah, I think we met in high school. We probably yeah. knew each other prior to that, coming from a small town yeah. um, there in Southeast Texas. And then eventually, eventually getting to know each other in high school, uh, becoming good friends, both going to Texas A&M, ended up being in some of the same organizations at Texas A&M, always having a similar friend group. Um, then both of us graduated off to do our own things. Um, me trying to pursue some creative passions on the side and Dallin out there just wholeheartedly like doing everything he can to uh to grow the business that he currently works in which we're gonna dive into a little deeper but yeah we've known each other for a while yeah we have I was when you were talking about that I was just trying to think about the first time I met you I mean we knew I knew of you for a while because uh, I was friends with the family that was friends with you but as far as like actually knowing each other I don't think we knew each other until probably later in high school probably before you graduated just because our friend groups were kind of similar. Um, but yeah, we have known each other quite a while now. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, you uh, you look very, uh, I guess, sophisticated with the hair slicked back. I haven't seen that look on you here before. So if y'all are watching <laughs> the video, go check out Dallin's Fresh Cut. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, it's interesting. It's in a weird spot. I'm growing my hair out right now. I've never grown it out. And I'm usually like really tight on the sides and clean on the top. And uh, I was like, man, let when else am I going to have the opportunity to grow my hair out again? So that's what I'm doing right now. It's a little bit difficult to manage sometimes. Well, all right, let's, uh, let's jump right into it. I want to start by giving the listeners a little more of a background about you. They know we okay. know each other from a while back, but let's talk about Dallin. So just give us an intro into your background, where you're from, what you did growing up, what do you like to do for fun, the whole nine. Perfect. All right. Well, First off, thanks for having me. I appreciate the invite. I'm certainly uh, honored to be a part of this program. Uh, I love listening from time to time when I get the opportunity to do so. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool to be invited on your friend's podcast. Plus, you know, I love you, Vinny. So this is pretty cool. 
A little background on me and my family. So I know you mentioned a little bit um, about the business that I work in and and I'll dive into it a little bit deeper when I talk about my background, but uh, background on me and where our company is at. So our company is actually headquarters in Orange, Texas, uh, where me and Vinny grew up. We've been here, I think we're going on 18 years now. So whoop to that. Um, I actually was born in Orange in 1998. So I'll be 25 this year, which is crazy. Um, and my family, my dad was actually working for a, a company called Ehrlichied, if you've ever heard of that. So it's like a, a gas company. It, it's a huge company. But um, he was a regional supply manager, I believe, for that company. And that's kind of why we were in this area. And then pretty shortly after I was born, we moved to Louisiana because he was managing a different region. They kind of changed it from managing like 30 regions to 10. And he was still managing a whole region um, in his specific field. So uh, my dad was when he was coming up in the corporate life, he was a supply manager. He was managing supply chains or um, doing something kind of similar to what I do now, which is interesting, but uh, on a pretty big level at the time. And then, uh, you know, without diving in too deep of his work life and what he was doing, we um, moved from Louisiana to Cypress, Texas. So Houston area uh, for a little while until I was about five, still doing about, I mean, the same thing, still working for the same company. Um, and then he moved to another corporate company called Matheson Trigas, uh, where he eventually worked his way up to being a regional vice president um, there. And um, honestly, he he always had the passion to like be an entrepreneur. And uh, but raising you know three kids, he was passionate about his job and providing for his family at the time. Uh, but he always had kind of like that itch to be an entrepreneur. And so um, when I was about five, I think he I think it was about five years old. He took the leap and we decided to move back here to Orange. We felt like this is where our roots needed to be for whatever reason. Um, none of my family is actually from here, like my surrounding family. Uh, we have some, like I call my adopted grandparents, which are some of the best people that we've ever had in our lives. But uh, that was kind of another reason we moved back here. And we felt like our roots were meant to be here. Um, and uh, what's interesting about that is uh, whenever he was at the previous company before he started, uh, decided to start this company, he kind of showed them the business model and his idea of like the industrial distribution um, idea. And they're like, oh, our business isn't going in that direction. Like, we don't really think that's where we should devote our time and resources to as a company. And after he planned and researched it so much, he just felt in his gut like it was the right thing to do. Like, he was like, I spent all this time. I, I've done the research. I know it's kind of a proven model, at least in theory. So he's like, I'm going to do this thing. And I remember right before we left, or he left that job and we left Houston. He had just gotten a brand new company truck. I literally remember the color. It was a brand new Ford F-150 green with tan trim, King Ranch. I literally remember it. And he had it for literally a month. And he was like, all right, I have to give this back. And uh, they offered him some pretty big incentives to try to keep him to stay. And uh, he still just felt in his gut that what he was kind of pursuing was the right thing. So we left um, Houston and moved here. And this, we started Gopher Industrial in 2005. Um, a little short synopsis on what Gopher Industrial is. I know we'll probably dive into a little bit more, but Gopher Industrial is a hose welding safety and safety distributor. And then our fourth product we like to call is integration. So our goal as an industrial distributor is to be six distributors in one. So instead of, you know, our customer base going to six different vendors for the products that they're looking for. They come to just us and we can serve all their needs at one time without having to issue, you know, several purchase orders to different suppliers to be able to take care of the project. So it gives them more time to do their job effectively, essentially. So um, Gopher actually started in 2005 as a fully web-based company. It wasn't even a brick and mortar store. 
Um, it was all online. They were um, drop shipping stuff from uh, vendors, warehouses, and distribution centers. It's actually pretty interesting. Um, and then, uh, as you're no stranger to, Hurricane Rita hit in 2005. And at the time, since it was a web-based company, we had like a big server rack and they had to take the server rack and go to San Antonio, where it was like a safe spot with enough internet connectivity to be able to, you know, operate the business. And uh, I think I remember them remit, uh, renting an apartment for a while there just so they could have uh, like a one bedroom apartment where they like both slept in the same room. My dad and his business partner, Mr. David. Um, and uh, they had a server rack in there. And I remember them talking about how hot it was in the room because the servers were running and, you know, computers in 2005 and servers were huge. So, um, but anyway, over the time of being here through a hurricane at the beginning, uh, they realized over time that this region that we're in here in Southeast Texas is one of uh, the biggest oil and gas regions in North America and the world, frankly, as far as, you know, chemical, petrochemical plants and uh, oil refineries and all the ancillary businesses that go with, on with that, like fabrication sites, painting and blasting yards, you know, all those things. And they realized there was kind of a need here. And quickly, it was an interesting time because the internet was changing from like a, a newer-ish thing and to, you know, Google being like, where everybody goes to search for something. And then Google AdWords were a big, played a big part in that in the beginning of our business. And then obviously over the last several years, it's kind of changed to, to the big A word, Amazon, which is weird. Um, but anyway, our, our business quickly changed from like all web-based business to like it flopped. So we were like 90% of our revenue is coming from brick and mortar. And we used to be in a little bitty strip mall like thing uh, when we had our offices there and had inventory there. And we had closet spaces like packed full of inventory. And uh, we were making hoses out of this back shop. It actually kind of did have a shop. Uh, but that's why I crimped my first hydraulic hose when I was like seven years old. So I like remember that part of the business. Um, but the brick and mortar, just that business in this region just blew up. So we went from 2005 to starting the business to being a web-based company to being in part of the facility that I'm in now. We built in 2008. We were actually sharing it with a different company. Uh, like they had one side of it and then we had like the other two thirds of the building. And then we kept growing again. Um, we took over this side of the office space um, through several remodels. And, um, and then we built a pretty big distribution center here as well. Uh, several hundred thousand cubic feet um, in 2011. Um, man, we went through multiple hurricanes during that time frame too. Um, Hurricane Ike was in 2008. And then in 2019, uh, we did a hose assembly and manufacturing redesign project of our hose shop. So it was kind of to gear us up to be more technical hose provider to our customers and be a state-of-the-art facility, which is what we have now. And actually, that was actually one of my projects when I was a sophomore in college. They told me what they wanted and they're like, all right, make a plan and execute on it. So that was pretty cool. Executed some uh, pretty big purchase orders. And uh, that was one of my first really big projects. But uh, my tenure at Gopher Industrial has been a little interesting. Um, I started working here when I was, before I could even drive, I remember, because I, uh, I started doing our janitorial services here. So I was sweeping and mopping the floors, cleaning the bathrooms, taking out the trash, cleaning the desk. And uh, quickly, I realized like I couldn't do it by myself because when I was just doing it by myself, we didn't have that much space for me to worry about. But as we grew more and more like office space, um, my sister started working with me. So like I would get paid as a contractor and I'd write them a check to work for me. It was pretty interesting. Um, but that's kind of how I started here. And that honestly 
that, uh, that taught me a lot of, uh, appreciation for work in general. And then, um, I worked several summers here in our distribution center, um, um, at minimum wage. So that also taught me a lot of character as well in the summer dead of the summer, you know, how hot it gets here and it's like 110% humidity. So, um, doing that for several summers. And then over time, it kind of turned into, uh, every summer I kind of like had a project. So I worked from everywhere between obviously starting in janitorial service and working at a distribution center for three summers. Then I moved to counter sales working, you know, where customers come in and helping them find products. Uh, I played a role in our marketing group, uh, before I left for my job in Dallas that I recently had. And then the last year I've been here, uh, as our supply chain specialist. Uh, and I'll talk more about that in a minute, but anyway, my family's been here ever since 2005. Um, I talk a lot about the business because I feel like it's a lot of who my family is. And I don't know, everybody, if they see me online, they're probably going to see me talking about our business or something that we're doing, or I'm making some crazy video or something like that around the business. And that's just because that's, it's been everything to us. It's been one of the biggest blessings without a doubt in my life. Um, and I'm so, so grateful to, to have it, um, you know, as a part of my life. Cause you know, a lot of people don't get that opportunity to be able to be a part of family business. And, and it comes with its cons, of course. I mean, it's, it's interesting working, uh, and devoting a lot of your time to trying to grow a new business, but, um, I'm certainly grateful for it. Um, so my, I have two sisters, so I'm not an only child. I'm actually the youngest of three kids. Um, uh, my oldest sister also works with us here. She's our business development manager. And then my middle sister, um, Kendall, she is a NICU nurse. I think right now she, or she's working in New Orleans right now. That's where she works. Um, but she originally started at Children's Memorial Hermann Hospital in Houston uh, in the NICU. But yeah, she's a, she's a lifesaver. But all, me and all my sisters are different, but similar. It's pretty interesting uh, dynamic, but I love them both to death. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of my life here. Um, I can touch more on the, on the college and stuff like that, but I'll let you talk. I've been talking a while. <laughs> no, you're good. I appreciate all of the context. I don't think there's, well, there is because I know there is, but from what you described, I don't think there's much left to be unsaid. So, um, <laughs> no, that was great. I, it's funny. One of the things that stuck out while you were talking about that was, when you said that you were doing counter sales and you were working at the business, I remember when I was like 10 years old. So every day after school, um, my grandmother would come, my granny, she'd come and pick me mm -hmm. up from school and we'd go back to what I called the studio gun studio. Mm -hmm. That was the old, that was our old family business. It's not still oh, yeah, running yeah. anymore, but uh, we were a photography studio and formal wear rental store. And Part of what I did was not being behind the camera, but instead I would work the counter um, and answer phones. And really it was more so just to kind of keep me occupied. So I wouldn't get into trouble while I was there waiting uh, to get picked up later. <laughs> but one of the things that I became known for was the kids would come in to rent a tux for prom. Right. And so when all the kids would come in to rent a tux for prom, they'd see like a little 10 year old me like working the counter and be like, uh, I'm here to rent a tux, you know, uh, I was like, all right, <laughs> great. Like, let me help you out. So I'd go over there and I'd flip open the books with all the different, um, swatches or, you know, patches Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. with the different colors and textures and everything. And I'd pull out one of those, um, 
I can't think of the name of the type of paper, but you know what I mean? Where it's like you write receipts on sometimes and you can rip Oh, like a carbon copy? Paper? Carbon copy. Yes. That's yeah, what I was trying yeah. to think of. So I'd take the carbon copy uh, little form and I'd be like, all right, well, let's uh, let's get some of your measurements. And so granny would come out and she'd measure them for the tux and be like, all right, well, let's talk about what you're looking for. And I'd show them all the tuxes and what colors the worst you part, looking for? see the colors. That was always the worst part because the guys didn't have a clue. And I'd be like, well, there. do you have, this was kind of when cell phones were still on the early, you know, not everyone had like a great cell phone. Right. Uh, most people had one at that point. I think razors were a big deal back then. Oh, I remember They're coming that. back. Razors are coming back. Um, but no, so I'd ask him be like, do y'all have a picture of uh, your date's dress or like, you know, something to show me like what you're looking for. Yeah. And the guys, 90% of them had no clue what they were looking for. Right but, over their head. <laughs> yeah. We got them put in a tux nonetheless. So that's impressive yeah. though. At 10 years old, these guys probably walking in here like, is, yeah, this guy can help me right now. I guess he is. All right. Well, I guess they were a little me. confused. <laughs> so I had to one up you there a little bit. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate dude. Anybody that works around or in a family business, there's a, there's a certain different appreciation for it because I think there's a misconception about it that, you know, I'm sure every family business is different, but there is no way that the perception that people are like, oh, everything's given to you. You just have something because your family has it or that couldn't, for me personally, that couldn't be further from the truth. My, the expectations of me were always way higher than everybody else. The standards were always way higher than everybody else. Like, you know, I always, I always still say this every day to my dad. So one thing that our company prides ourselves on is our uh, 20 commitments to excellence. So it hangs up all over our business. There's like 20 short sentences that everybody has to be like intently focused on. That's what makes us excellent every day. And uh, I always say my dad, I said, for me, excellence is a requirement. It's not a choice. Like being the owners, one of the owner's sons, like I don't have the option to be, you know, subpar one day. I have to be the best every day. Like that's the standard. Right. And so he, he holds me to that for sure, which I'm grateful for because it makes me that much more of a hard worker and, and want to grind and stuff like that. So that makes well, sense. No, hundred percent. I think that's something that shines through with, especially, I know you mentioned it earlier, but all of the social media posts that y'all have been going for. So I'm not going to break the, break the train here since we're already rolling. Talk yeah. to me about those social media posts. Talk to me about kind of your approach to it, what the what it means to promote your business on social media, aside from just being, here's my personal whatever account, right. Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is, where I post pictures of me and my dates, me and my friends, whatever it is, right. to I'm going to use social media as a way to promote my professional presence so I know right. you're someone who's active on LinkedIn as well as your dad. We'll have to have yeah. we'll have to have your dad come back on one day and we can. He all told chat. me to tell you hello. He said he would love to talk to you. <laughs> well, I'll, ha- I'll make sure to have him on. We'll follow up uh, maybe sometime this summer and kind of all all yeah, be on awesome. again. But uh, but no. So tell me about I guess both of y'all's approach to social media and why that matters to y'all. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's not so much of a, a written plan, but just the idea, right? So. It kind of started with um, when I was first when I first came back and I was doing I did a lot of marketing stuff um, remotely when I was in college. That was one of the ways I made money is like they would have projects for me and I would remotely, you know, Photoshop, Adobe Premiere, that kind of stuff. And I learned about the marketing process a lot more. And I'm, I'm by no means any kind of professional. So uh, but you still learn a lot through that process. And I think what clicked for me was like, OK, 
when I'm on social media, what do I engage with? What kind of posts do I like to see, right? And that's the kind of content you have to create. Now, obviously not everybody's going to stop on your post, but posting some informational, advertorial content, everybody scrolls past. No one's engaging with it. And honestly, they probably don't even remember it. But if you make it fun and, and interactive and um, what I'm fortunate to have is that, you know, I, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm connected with a lot of people that I care about, and I would think the same for me. So I like being involved in their lives and seeing what's going on and what successes they're having. So I kind of weave the personal and professional in it together because, I mean, that's important to me. One, because work is kind of my hobby, admittedly. I like to work and I like to be here. I like to be creative and have fun. But, you know, you get to show people that sometimes it's not that serious, like, you know, like we're serious when it comes to business and it's important to us, but it's, it's okay to have fun every now and then and, and kind of show everybody that you're having fun while you're at work and uh, but being serious about the product you sell and that you're passionate about it. And so it's kind of like about doing creating fun videos and getting content out there in front of people. That's the key is just staying in front of people and staying consistent, at least, you know, depending on what products you're selling, but just letting them know you're there and, you know, being present in a way you can't post one week and then not post for a month. You know, you gotta be in some form there, just present in general. So kind of saturation. Go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I I 100% noticed that precisely what you just said, that consistency is key in this game. And I mean, if you're a avid listener of the podcast, there was a huge break towards the end of last year where I was transitioning jobs, full-time jobs, et cetera. And I just didn't post for two, three months and viewership, listenership, whatever you want to call it, went way down on YouTube, on social media, on uh, Apple podcasts, on Spotify, which makes sense. There's nothing out there for people to go and interact with. And then you, you stick to it for a month and you're like, oh my God, like, I'm it's famous. I got followers. <laughs> yeah. like, it's back know. again. Yeah. yeah. So that that is a hundred percent one of the keys to growing in any sort of business is, yeah. especially in this day and age, you have to be consistent on your social media presence. Because there was another phrase I heard, or I guess little nugget of marketing gold that I heard the other day, in that the average buyer has to see something seven times before they decide to purchase it. Isn't that nuts? So if you're not putting, if you're scrolling and you see it once, you might say, oh, it's a great idea. But then you don't see it ever again. You're never going to remember it. Whereas I can literally think of items today that I was scrolling through. I mean, literally Instagram ads where I was scrolling through and I always say like, oh, that looks pretty cool. And then the next day I see it again and be like, I kind of, I would almost get like annoyed at a point where it was like, right. All right. Like how many times is this stuff going to pop up? I'm sick of the ads. But then one day <laughs> after enough times of seeing it, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to buy one of these. Like it's actually, it's they got you the right trigger. there. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I wholeheartedly believe that after seeing it proven on myself, but that's dude, that's so true. And honestly, like, I think what people get mixed up is they're like, all right. So I know you've probably seen some videos that we make, but people get locked up and like, all right, I need to make a really informational video and um, get all the information out. I can, and kind of like throw up on the person. Honestly, what people don't realize now about people's attention spans is they're not really that long, at least on social media anyway, like the content that they're engaging with. So when it comes to like videos or any kind of interactive content that you want somebody to read or look at, it needs to be one engaging and interesting, but also it's gotta be short. So like videos, short form content stuff that people can like capture in bursts because I mean, 
a perfect example of that is TikTok or Instagram Reels or YouTube Reels or Facebook Reels, all those different types of short form content that have been just insanely successful over the last, I don't know, five years or so, like the emergence of that kind of video and stuff. But I mean, I see clips that you post from your podcast. That's a great example, you know? Yeah. And that was honestly one of the hardest things about it was I enjoy so much being the guy that is getting great guests to come on and sitting down and speaking with them and doing this part of it. Right. The harder part for me was, okay, now I say, Hey, thanks for coming on Dallin. I end the podcast. Right. Now I got to go download the recording. I've got to go edit the recording. I've got to go put music behind the intro. I've got to go insert advertisements. I've got to then right. clip it into 60 second clips that are good for short form content for reels. And then I've got to add right. captions to them and make it interesting. And by that point, I mean, I'm working another full-time job. hundred percent. I, I, I learned very quickly that you can buy back your time. And I know that sounds mm -hmm. very, you know, forgive me, those of you that are not on the bandwagon, but all entrepreneurial grind mindset. That's, that's not where I'm <laughs> going with this, but it's true. Like you can yeah. literally buy back your time. And so we were talking about it before really? we hopped on. I, I just bought, not bought, I just bought someone's services, like hired right. a virtual assistant. And so I've got someone that works elsewhere who is now doing the hard work for me. So I get to do right. the enjoyable part of reaching out, sitting down, right. talking to people like you. And then I've got someone else that can run the social media accounts for me. Right. Um, now, that's strictly because I'm not someone that enjoys or is good at the marketing aspect of it. Someone right. like yourself definitely has that. Amateur. I'm an amateur. <laughs> <laughs> but still, so. No, I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head because I, I mean, in general, I mean, podcast, whatever kind of content it is, people might see like a short clip or something like that, but having a little bit of a background in video editing or any kind of content editing there, there's so much behind the scenes that you have to do to either prepare that piece of content or the audio or the music, or there's so much more that goes into it than people realize just seeing a clip. But I mean, your time is your most valuable thing that you could possibly, I mean, this time is finite. So any time that you can get back is important. Well, one question that I've been asking the last few guests I've had on and one that I guess I'll now pose to you as we're on the conversation. And I think I know the answer, but which <laughs> would you prefer? Would you rather have more time or more money and why? Great question. Yeah, you probably do know the answer. I, I definitely time, definitely time. I mean, you can always make more money, but like I said, time is finite. You, there is nothing you can do in a day to make the day longer. It's 24 hours every single day, no matter what. Money comes and goes. There's other ways to make money. It's about, you know, prioritizing your time. I would definitely say time. It's the most valuable thing in the world, for sure. And you realize as you get older, how much faster and how much more valuable it is. And, you know, whether it's, and you probably can relate to this. When you get a full-time job, you know, in a regular work day, you're working eight hours, right? If you're super dedicated, you're, or you care a lot about your job or for whatever reason, it's the season of work and you're just really busy. You might be working 10, 12 hours at a time, you know? All right. Well, there goes either a third to half of your day like that, just from work. So now you have to try to also have a social life during all that time. You have to try to maintain your other relationships. You have to try to make, you know, be with your family. You want to spend time with your family and, um, and then also have time for yourself to do things that you enjoy. I think that's the most important thing about time is that, 
it's so finite and you can only split it up so many ways. You can't buy with any amount of money in the world. You can't buy any more time. So definitely time. I agree with that to a certain extent. I have a little bit of a controversial viewpoint here that I spoke on in an earlier episode, but I'll I'll reemphasize for those of you that might not have listened to it. And that is that while I get the argument that time is more valuable than money, Mm -hmm. sometimes you're not able to have that time allotted to yourself without money. And so I am on like, I am on the motivation train. I am sitting here trying to work as hard as possible, make as much money as possible in as short a duration as possible. So then at some point in the near future, I then have the ability to cut back. And now I can say, okay, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm, I'm not saying I have to have 10 million, hundred million, whatever, a billion dollars, whenever I'm comfortable enough that I can go back to working eight hours a day and -hmm. enjoy the rest of my time. At that point, I think the time it'll flip for me and time will be more valuable than money. But at this point in my life, I'd rather have more money. (laughs) True. Yeah. So that's uh, relatable. I, you know, when you, I think you could phrase either one. It depends on how you look at it. But also, in a way, you know, the way you talk about, okay, yeah, when I have enough money, I could scale back. I know your personality. I feel like you're just in your nature. You like to hustle and that's always going to be in you. And I think even if you have more money, you're still going to find something to fill your time with. I mean, I guess you you can look at your enjoyment that you get out of it, but I see it both ways, I guess. It kind of just depends on where you're at in your life. But yeah, money, more money is always great. Yeah. yeah, it never slows down around here, but um, <laughs> more money is always great. That's it's not a bad quote there. I'm going to put that one, uh, quote that one and put it on a, uh, what am I trying to say here? Put it on a banner. Put it on a banner. Yeah. <sighs> well, okay. Let's talk about something else. Tell me yeah. about going to Texas A&M. Why, why'd you choose A&M? What was it like there? What, what happened during your time at A&M? What do you remember? What was the best? What was the worst? Tell us about it. Great question. Um, and all honestly, when I was about to graduate high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I'm not really sure anybody knows exactly what, what they want to do. And if you do, hey, hats off to you. Um, I knew that growing up in the family business, I, I love business. I just, in my nature, I love being around it and everything that goes, that's involved with it. But I wanted the opportunity to like branch out and try something different. And both of my sisters, so I remember my older sister, she, they toured some colleges whenever she was about to go to college. I think she went to SFA and Sam Houston, just looking around. And she just didn't really want to move off her school. Um, Kendall was a nurse in one of the best nursing schools is, is around here. So a lot of people go to Lamar University in Beaumont, which is where she graduated from um, with her BSN. But I just wanted the opportunity to, I've always been pretty independent. I wanted the opportunity to experience something different. And also, a lot of my close friends were going to have that opportunity. A lot of that was their plan. Either their families had moved off to college or, or went to school at AM. And growing up, I had opportunities to get AM specifically because I had the chance to go to, uh, I went to a football camp there, which is crazy because I'm not even remotely a football player, but <laughs> I went to a football, a football camp there when I was in like the sixth grade. Um, so that was kind of like my first introduction to it and being on campus. And that's like when the old corridors were there too, because that's where we stayed. Um, but then I went to a, a like a legit my first legit football game was when they played Baylor 
the last year before they moved. So they're still in the Big 12 and they're about to go into the SEC. So when we went to the game, I mean, the crowd was like electric. It was crazy. Like everybody was chanting SEC and they destroyed Baylor. So it made the game that much better. And I honestly think from that moment being in Kyle Field, I mean, that was even before they did the big remodel. So this was, yeah, it had to be 2012. So yeah, that, I mean, in that moment, I was like, oh, this is where I, I have to, I want to be here. And obviously when you're younger, that doesn't really kind of like emerge till later till it actually becomes an opportunity. But the interesting part about school going to A&M is that not that my dad is like against, um, you know, big universities, but you know, there's pros and cons to being at a big university. They're, they're expensive. People pay a lot of money to go there. And, um, and uh, if you don't take full, you know, grasp of that opportunity and take a full advantage of it is what I was trying to say, then you may not get out of it what you paid for essentially. And so it kind of took some convincing. So <laughs> he, they know this now probably, but um, I, I've all growing up. One of my favorite things that I love to read about and watch. I'm like all in the midst of it is anything to do with space. So if you hear anything about SpaceX or NASA or all that, I'm all over it. Like I watch stuff all the time about, I love it. Um, I used to watch the shuttle launches when I was really little. I even remember watching the very last one on my living room floor. But uh, so that kind of sparked my interest in wanting to be an aerospace engineer. Well, conveniently, uh, Lamar is actually a great engineering school. But the one program they do not have at Lamar University is aerospace engineering. And one of the best schools in the country for aerospace engineering uh, at the time, probably still is, honestly, is A&M. And so I was like, oh, that's what I wanted to do. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, be accepted into A&M under in the engineering program. And it wasn't specific to aerospace. You know, they accepted general engineering at first. And so I was pretty pumped, nervous because I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm decent at math, but I'm not any kind of, I'm no Einstein, right? At math, I can't solve <laughs> equations like left and right, like some of my friends can. But I was, you know, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm excited for this. A little nervous to move off and kind of do my own thing, but I was going to be with my friends and, it was going to be a good time. And my dad bought into it. He was excited. And um, when I first got there, my first semester, engineering school was rough. It just it wasn't working out for me like I thought I would love it. You know, I would and honestly, mad respect at this point to people who are in the engineering school because it is a hustle for sure. The long hours and the studying and stuff like that. Not that other degrees don't have that, but if you don't really enjoy what you're doing and what you're reading, it's it's a battle. It's an uphill battle. And you know that I'm sure from all the studying that we've had to do, but I realized after a semester, that's not where I wanted to be. And so it took some convincing. Thankfully at that time, my dad had already visited A&M. All the people, all my parents, my friend's parents were like working on him. Like A&M is a great school. It's where he should be. And he was, he calls it drinking the Kool-Aid, but he was like, over time, he was like buying into it and he loved it. And after my first semester, I just wasn't enjoying my time there, or at least in that school. I just felt like I was a little lost on exactly what I wanted to do. And um, I was like, I, I feel like my heart, I should be in the, I should be in the business school. I want to pursue something in that field. And over time, my dad was convinced and he was and you know, he read on it and read about it. And AM has a phenomenal business school. Maze is like one of the top business schools. Um, so he bought into it. But the path to get into Mays when you're within AM is really hard. So if you're coming from the outside, like if you're being accepted into AM and you're trying to get into business school, it's a little bit different. But inter inter-college transfers, like from one college to another, is hard. So I actually had to move out of the engineering school into general studies 
um, for I think a semester and I had to maintain, you know, a, a really high grade point average. Cause I think in the university, they only accept, I think it was at the time, like a hundred within the university to move from, like, if you're moving from a different department into a different school, it was yep. really hard. So that was like the first year of college for me was super stressful because I one didn't like the first semester. And then I knew the battle to get into the business school was going to be tough. So I decided to pursue it anyway. I felt like that's what I should do. And thankfully, by the grace of God, I got into the business school and it was one of the best. I just felt like I felt a weight of relief, not of responsibility, because I knew it was still going to be tough, but I just felt like I was on the right path, per se. And anyway, I, I didn't really know what area of business I wanted to do because, you know, there's a there's several different degrees you can pursue or paths. And I kind of, when I first landed in there, I kind of aligned in finance. That's kind of something that I like to do. I, I enjoy that kind of stuff. Um, but over time, I found my love for supply chain and decided that's what I wanted to do. And uh, I kind of grew up in that. I didn't realize it, but pursuing that it was fun. I enjoyed my classes. I enjoyed the stuff I was studying. And that's kind of over time, you feel like that's, you, you find your passion over time, or maybe not your passion, but something that you enjoy. And so, ah, man, I can't say enough about my time at AM. It changed my life for sure. And uh, I'm so grateful for the friendships that I have, not only with you, but other people that we met. And, you, you know, some of your closest friends, too, or came out of A&M or, or uh, One Army, the men's org that we were in. But um, on that topic, I would definitely say the best part about college had to be um, getting in One Army. Just well, I remember. I remember. So obviously, you know, the process, because were you the president at the time when I got in? Or the year uh, after? I, I, do I think remember. you were the president. I think I was. Yeah. And I, and you know, that moment, like when you get your letter and you, you grab your letter from the place that tells you yes or no, and you, you open the letter up and it's for some people, it's, it could be a bummer, but for, you don't know what's coming. Right. So you open the letter and it turned out to be one of the best days ever. And little did I know it would be one of the starts to some of the best friendships that I could ever ask for. And uh, the memories, just being around those guys during regular school time or, um, during the summers when no one's there or, you know, pool days, things like that. I mean, that's, those are the days you don't, you don't get back, you know, when you talk about time and you get busy, like the, those days are rare for sure. I think those memories are what are the best part about college for sure. And I was thinking, I was looking back at some pictures in my just camera roll earlier. I um, have like a widget on my phone that just pops up a random picture every day and oh, yeah. there's one from college and I clicked back into it and, I remember those days all too well and it was kind of sad, um, but a good sad. It, it was like, a a, sad, I miss yeah. it, but I'm so glad it happened. Kind of sad. A hundred percent. You know that. I even, um, I mean, yeah, even on my way walking over to a little studio I record in, uh, I was on the phone with a guy that I met in one army and he's in my wedding this upcoming year. And I'm, that's crazy. His, you know, it's just kind of crazy the way it all works out, but that's crazy to think about. One of, one of my closest friendships that I got from being in one army, you know, Cooper Ligon, he's mm -hmm. like, he's my dog, man. He, uh, he's thank God for him, man. He's been a, a huge supporter and, and, uh, uh, you know, helping me stay focused and locked in. We're kind of like, account. we hold each other accountable for stuff. And, um, we actually weren't super good friends when I got in one army. The reason we became good friends is because, uh, my roommate, one of my other best friends, Bo, you know, Bo. Bo was like a campus manager for like all the mini fridges on campus. So there's a company that manages all the mini fridges for all the dorms. 
and we needed one extra set of hands. Someone bailed and we needed another extra set of hands. So I threw a message in our, I don't even remember what we're using at the time. Anyway, I threw a message out to everybody to see who wanted to help and make some money. And he was the first, Cooper was the first person that called me. And we spent like several days together, like me, him, uh, Trey, Bo, like all spent a bunch of time together moving hundreds of mini fridges. And like, it was, I mean, it was a lot of work, but you had so much time to talk. And literally from that point on, we became super good friends. And uh, it's just so weird to think like that little moment from moving mini fridges together is one of the reasons that we're so close. So it's crazy to think about stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I miss old Coop. I need to reach out and see what he's been up to. But um, nah, he's grinding too. I also remember the uh, the mini fridge days. I uh, I went yeah, you're no stranger. one time, and that was all <laughs> I could take. That was the most miserable day of college. That's like the one day of college I don't want to look back on because at the end of the day, yeah, I got a little paycheck for the hours that we worked. But man, I, I remember one of the the dorms that we were delivering to. We were delivering to the third, and I think there might have even been a fourth floor of the dorm, and the elevator was out. And so it was already having to tag team uh, these refrigerators or having yeah. to carry these refrigerators up three or four flights of stairs. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm sure if anybody knows us or is watching the video on YouTube, neither one of us are uh, very butch or, you know, muscular guys. <laughs> we're not we do big dudes, we, yeah. we hold our own, but uh, – I mean, Jesus. So I remember I what's crazy that is day. all the all the dorms on campus, except for Hullabaloo, don't have elevators. So Hullabaloo might be the I think maybe not now, but at the time is the only dorm that had an elevator. So if you're in any of the other dorms, you having to go upstairs with a dolly or you tag team it, you and another guy grabbing each end of the mini fridge combinations and going up the stairs. And sometimes it's not just one or two. It's like. 10 or 15 or 20 oh, it was miserable i think i remember I, the guy wrote me a check for like the guy that was like in charge of the whole operation i remember he, uh, him, yeah. i don't remember wrote me a check it was a whole day's worth of work wrote me a check for like 150 bucks i think i walked across, it was we were in the parking lot <laughs> at one of the dorms that was on the corner of uh it wasn't hollow blue but it was on the corner of i know what you're talking about uh university and welburn yeah and is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he wrote us all the check and I grabbed mine and I walked across the street to Chimmy's and I, I wasted <laughs> the whole check. I was like, there was a Wells Fargo. I went and cashed it. And then I went to <laughs> that's so, awesome. All the days worth of work for that. That's yeah. awesome. I love that. Rewarded myself with some nachos and quesadillas and a margarita the whole night. So, <laughs> As one should. Yeah, it was a great time. Oh, <laughs> Well, okay. So tell us about, there was a, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. I don't know okay. that we were actually going to talk about this, but now that we're on the topic of conversation, you uh-huh. and I in college, um, our hometown is plagued by a common natural disaster known as hurricanes. <laughs> we had a pretty bad one come through um, during, well, a lot of times while we were there, Rita, et cetera. And uh, then there was one come through while we were in college Maybe tell the listeners a little bit about like you and I and what we what we did. I'm gonna pat ourselves on the back here and not yeah. to say that we're some saviors of any sort, but just kind of choose to help inspire others to take a yeah. charge and do something meaningful whenever the time approaches, when the opportunity comes. Right. Yeah. I so obviously growing up here, we're no strangers to hurricanes in particular, you know, natural disasters. And you know, one one I wouldn't say good thing, but one 
positive thing, that's the right word to say, that comes out of a natural disaster is regardless of any disagreements or, you know, tiffs people might have with one another or arguments they want to be in or anything, when, when it's, you know, ground zero, when, when, when there's a, a natural disaster, none of that matters anymore. It's about helping your neighbors. It's about helping your friends, about helping your family. And growing up in that, it's just, I don't know, I feel like you're not conditioned, but you're just so used to like, all right, the storm's coming. How bad is it going to be? Should we evacuate? Who do we need to help? And then when we come back, what's the game plan? Like, what do we do? How do we help? Because some people are affected in one storm that might not be affected in the next and vice versa. And, you know, when we're off in college, it's, it's a little bit different because we were, you know, four hours, three, three and a half hours away. You know, we weren't there in the moment, but we know exactly what it's like. And so it was actually 100% your idea. You came to me and, and you knew the hurricane was coming. And, and we know what happens after a hurricane. We know how bad it, it can be. And um, so you came to me. I think your idea was, I can't remember what, you were trying to, you were putting together a website to uh, organize volunteers and then also taking donations like after the storm for us to come back here. And uh, I was like, oh, I would, I don't even remember how I got involved with you to help. I think I offered help on some marketing stuff or something. Oh, I helped on the web. You had built a website already. And I was like, oh, I would love to help with the website. And then I got deep into the website one night, changing the colors and making it, you know, when people came to it, they were, you know, informed. And uh, you, you, you passed the baton to me on that thing. I, I just, I just ran with it, but it quickly grew to, Honestly, I don't even know what I expected out of it, but you know, just building something that would help even a little bit would was plenty for me to know that there was some kind of impact. Um, I don't even remember how much money we ended up raising. Do you remember? It was like I remember the was the it level of four thousand night. I can't remember something like that. I remember the first night we went over, uh, or I, I like we started talking about it, and I was like, "Hey, like when you get home, I'm coming over." So yeah. I like come over and we're sitting there. You had this big table in like y'all's like, I guess, dining oh, yeah. room area. And we sat at that table. We had our laptops out. We were sitting there and, and just trying to figure out what we were going to do. You were kind of taking charge of the website because that is definitely <laughs> your forte and not mine. And I'm sitting there like trying to like spit spitball some ideas, figuring out what we're going to do. And I'm like, we got to make a video. We got to tell everybody. We got to figure this. We got to go, go, yeah. go. I'm just like driving the charge with like, let's get it out there now. Yeah. And we record a video in the backyard. I remember it took us a few tries. We like, oh my gosh, sat so there many forever tries. Because I would stutter and then you would like say something back. Chip over my, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just like back and forth. And then finally we got the video in a good enough state to post. Yeah. And we post the video. And then we just like sat back and like waited for people to like share and post it. And I think we waited like two minutes and nobody had shared it yet. And we were like, texting oh, somebody, like, Hey, will you go share this real quick? Like, <laughs> yeah. And then finally it caught steam. And I remember we sat there, we stayed up late that night, sitting there late. at that table on our computers. And we were logging every time somebody would donate, we would like log yeah. it in an Excel sheet. So we just like sat there in our, uh, or at your table on our computers and I think we had like $700 worth of donations come in that yep, night. That's exactly. Yep. So we were like freaking out. And then like, oh, yes. that, yeah, over the next week or two, by the time it was said and done, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was close to $4,000 that we ended up doing. You actually got to go have, you know, hand deliver it. Oh uh, yeah. To your mind way and, and drop off um, some like packages and whatnot that we delivered. Yeah. You helped with the, uh, what was it? People came down and cooked for them. 
Oh yeah, there was a a, a group uh, from Texas A and M Corpus Christi who yep. wanted. They were like, "Hey, we want to come help. We we know what it's like. We've had we've you know we've been through these storms. We want to come help." And um, we set up a a place to cook. Uh, I, I don't know. We had to get some extra supplies to make it happen. You know, set it up. And then what's so weird is as we worked, with, I think it was with the Chamber of Commerce and United Way at that time too. Mm-hmm. And they just posted on their social media, and I'm like, "How are people even going to know about this?" There was a line of cars. Like we were feeding a lot of people, like boxes of food. I think they we were cooking fajitas. That's what it was. And people were just wanted something different. There was, you know, there was a lot of places cooking links and stuff like that, and they wanted something different. But I, I you know, my at the time, so uh, after the hurricane rolled through, um, my dad and them had evacuated in their. I think they evacuated in their travel trailer. Was that was that Laura? I can't remember. Anyway, I remember coming back, but they were staying at the place where the RV was because they still had internet connection there. And they were trying to work the business side of things while they were there trying to make sure, cause they couldn't come back here. If there was no electricity or power, there was no reason for them to come back here at the time. Right. And so I remember coming back um, here to check on everything, make sure everything was okay. Um, but yeah, Laura was a, Laura was an interesting one because honestly our specific hometown got lucky because it was literally coming right. At, I mean, it was going to be, horrendous but i mean lake charles wasn't so fortunate they kind of it kind of veered at the last second and went over there um but i remember i don't know if you remember this when we were logging donations over those days and we made a couple of different videos thanking people and then we like the news reached out to us in college station uh KAs, I forgot about that yeah and we did that interview um with them and then um the university started sharing the articles and like the write-ups and um, the Dean of the business school shared something about us doing it or something. And we were like, Oh my gosh, this is going crazy. And I mean, the goal was just to drum up as much help and support as possible, because if you're here and you've been through it, you know what it's like, but if you've never been here, you see the pictures and like everything happens on TV, but you don't know what it's like. So the goal was like, to try to share that, like to let people know what was happening. And I remember the biggest donation. Do you remember the single biggest donation we got? Do you remember? Yeah, it was someone, I can't remember. It was someone from like Florida or something. They donated. It was a thousand dollars. Yeah. And we were like, surely that's a typo. And I remember the person's message is like, um, it wasn't even very long. It was just like, we support what y'all are doing. We know what it's like or something like that. And uh, we were like, someone donated a thousand dollars yeah it was so i I, it's coming back to me it was someone from new orleans i think new orleans yeah that was it yeah yeah and she she reached out and sent it and was like we know what it's like like thank y'all for what you're doing like hopefully it gets to the right hands and we were like right absolutely i remember i was like do you want like a charity receipt or something like are you gonna like write (laughs) this off (laughs) yeah yeah that was a big sum of money and then we were once we had gotten all that money we were like okay, well, me and you together couldn't possibly, you know, drum up all this, all these volunteers. And stuff like that. It was better to put the money to work with organizations that already existed. And I think after we talked, uh, we reached out to the local United Way and we're like, all right, well, Orange wasn't the only place affected. So I think we ended up splitting the money between uh, United Way of Orange County and then United Way of Southwest Louisiana. That was, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember that. Remember we sat down at the Salvation Army. Remember we met with her? Do you remember that? Yeah. You were back. And uh, we were able to donate the money, but those, those organizations have a network of resources. So it was better just to 
support them and what they were doing. And, and it definitely got to the right place for sure. So yeah, that was an interesting time, man. College was crazy, dude. That the C, you know, the C word having to deal with all that. Yeah. <laughs> what a crazy time. Oh, good times though. Well, what did you do after college? I'm going to pivot here because we, yeah. uh, you and I could talk all day. I want to literally wanna we could try and get, uh, get some more of your whole, the whole picture of, of your life, your story for the listeners. Tell me yeah. about your time after college. And then we, we kind of spoke on go for quite a bit, but tell me yeah. about what you did between, you know, graduating and then eventually moving back and, and, you know, taking over um, the supply chain specialist role at Gopher. Right. So when I graduated college, I, it was, you know, coming out of the pandemic of things, the job market was a little turbulent. It was interesting time. Um, but, you know, interviewing with several companies, trying to figure out what I wanted to do uh, with my supply chain degree. And uh, I ended up signing a job offer working for a, a, a pretty big semiconductor company. And, but my job offer wasn't until I think like seven months after I signed it. So it was at the start of um, 2022, I think, January of 22. And so after I graduated college, I moved back home for a little bit for like seven months, worked here at Gopher and then um, packed up my life and moved everything to Dallas and kind of started to get settled in. I had a little bit of time before my job started and then, you know, started my role there. And, you know, my, my tenure at that company wasn't that long uh, uh, as a personal decision, wasn't the company at, at any facet. And in fact, it was kind of a tough decision because um, I love, my boss was awesome. Like he was a great guy. He was also an Aggie, um, you know, the, his boss was all, I mean, everybody across the organization, they, they take their company culture pretty seriously. Um, they were awesome people. So it was kind of a, uh, it was a, a sad to leave, but I felt like, you know, my calling was to be, to be here. I, I just felt for whatever reason, this is where I was supposed to be. And um, I felt it was at the time a better fit. And honestly, it was, it was a, one of the best decisions I could have made. So I'm pretty grateful for that, but you know, that, that's like the hard part about like knowing what you want to do is, you know, I grew up in my family business and I, I wanted to know what it was like to be and do something else. There's so many opportunities out there, great jobs, great companies that are doing impactful things. Um, but I was so stuck on like, everybody always says, you know, find your passion and never work a day in your life. That's one of the most famous quotes on the planet. But in reality, it actually a book that I'm about to be done reading. It's called, uh, it's called uh, Be So Good They Can't Ignore You. So it's about people get so caught up on like trying to find the thing that they just absolutely love. So they go to work every day and they're excited. Well, even if you're working in a job that you're super passionate about, that doesn't mean you're going to necessarily enjoy it every day. The point of the book is that you don't necessarily have to work in your passion. Just find something that you enjoy doing, but find something that you want to be the best at. Find something that whatever, whatever you do, whatever job you're in, be the best at that thing. And yeah, I think a lot of people get caught up on the whole passion thing. And there's so many important jobs in this world that I, I would be willing to go on a limb and say it's probably not some people's passions, but they love the people they work with. They love what they do. And they feel like they're super impactful in their role or their company. And I just think people get so caught up in that. And the world's such a bigger place than if everybody found their passion. <laughs> I'm not sure the world would keep turning, you know? Yeah. And I don't know that you can necessarily, and this was one thing that this is going to be another unpopular opinion here, but I'll go for it. 
there are certain degrees that people go get at school that yeah. I I have to kind of be a little worrisome about. And I say that because not every passion pays. And I guess I'll kind of coin that term here that, you know, you can love to do something and that can be your passion. I have a right. passion for being an artist or drawing, or I have a passion for this. Right. Now, in certain circumstances, being an artist pays extremely well, but that doesn't mean you're going to go out. Like there's not a job waiting for you when you graduate. Right. And that's going to, like I said, going to be an unpopular opinion because everybody's caught up in this mantra of follow your passions and do what you want in life and do this and do that. And you know what? At the same time, um, look at you following your passion. Look at me doing the podcast, following my passions, right. et cetera. But that's not what I do to make money. You know, like right. I, do <laughs> I do my passion on the side because I love it. And, right. you know, I'm thankful for the listeners. I'm thankful for the people I get to talk to. It's exciting for me. If I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't do it. Right. Some people, on the other hand, take it the opposite way. And they say that you, they just, they kind of scoff at the people that expect them to fall back on a secure job. And they're, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go right. for it. And I'm going to do this and do that. And there's a lot of ways that people can make it. And there's a lot of people that are taking risks like that, that I believe in wholeheartedly, but for 100%. the vast majority of people, and even those that I believe wholeheartedly are going to make it, I would never say it's a bad idea to have something to fall back on. So 100%. I kind of went on a tangent there. But no, that's a hundred percent, a, a, a valid point. You know, life is, life is hard. I mean, it's not, I mean, there's no rule book. There's no strategy that you get handed when you're born or when you turn 18. That's like, all right, this is what you should do and everything will work out for you. You could do everything perfectly your whole life. And the part of life is that it's totally unexpected things can happen. And there's going to be challenges that you face that someone else doesn't face. And nobody's life is the same. And there's no, there's no rule book. There's no, there's nothing that somebody can give you and say, all right, here's the, here's exactly what you should do to win. Um, yeah. And so you have to prepare for those moments. And I believe that you can, I mean, there's plenty of people that chase their, you know, quote unquote passion and, and, and make it their job and it can make money out of it. But I feel like sometimes there's a lot of people that you don't hear about that maybe had the opportunity to chase that and it didn't work out. But, you know, I, I don't know. It's tough for me because I see both sides of it. And there are people who, who I, I feel sad that they don't chase some of those passions that they're so good at um, because they feel like they have to do, you know, a job to make money or provide for their family or something like that. Um, cause you know, you want people to be happy and sometimes people pursuing their passion or at least doing something that has to do with their passion makes them happy. But no, I, I think what you're saying hundred percent is the right, as the right sentiment for sure. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, give me a little back <laughs> up there, um, but okay. I'm going to, I'm going to dive deeper into a few questions that I've started to ask recently on the podcast that will hopefully yeah. allow you to showcase some of what you really care about. Um, yeah. So the first one of those questions being that if you could have dinner with any three people dead or alive, who, who would you want to sit down and have dinner with? And then why would you want to speak with them? That's a great question. Oh my goodness. Um, three people I would have dinner with. Um, okay. I want to preface this before I say the first person, because I was on this, I was a fan of this person before they bought Twitter. Okay. <laughs> I would honestly pick Elon Musk because I've, I've been a fan of SpaceX forever since I was following before he was like the richest man in the world. I was, a, I was a fan of him. So I'm not some new Elon fanboy or anything like that. I, I actually, 
you know, I like some of the things he does. And I think that he's a, a very smart individual. I would love to pick his brain to, you know, he's has, you know, the largest electrical vehicle company in the world. He has, he has uh, one of the most successful rocket private rocket companies of all time. He has um, I just bought Twitter. Like there's so many things of his life. That'd be so interesting to ask him. Um, he's one person, man, this is a really difficult question. Um, hmm. Three people I would want to have dinner with. If there's not three, that's okay. It's just more so to get, I would the- like to, I want to meet somebody like I, Michael Jordan would be not, not specifically Michael Jordan, but someone who is so dedicated to like their craft, whatever it is that's outside of maybe like the normal business, you know, sector, maybe in sports or sports would be a good one to find someone who's literally one of the best in their field. That's so dedicated to what they do and just learning about what, like what inside them is like, I mean, you've probably seen the last dance with Michael Jordan. Have you ever seen that on Netflix? like talking about his life a little bit, which anyway, just to pick apart someone's life like that and understand what drives them and makes them wake up every day. That would be someone interesting. Man, that's a hard question. Hmm. I would have to think on that one. That's all right. I'll, uh, I'll save you there. I know one of the, when you mentioned Michael Jordan, it, it made me think of another person when you said someone that was so dedicated to their craft and, and yeah. that being Kobe Bryant, because I was thinking oh, basketball already. And great. Great him being choice. one of the people that they just absolutely rave about having such a dedicated, you know, purpose and, and such a, I guess, mindset that almost pissed people off to a certain yeah. extent because he cared so deeply, which almost mentality. to a fault of like, literally just, he was going to be the best. He was going like, I remember one time they were always messing with Kobe about, yeah, oh, yeah. The reason you score so much is because you shoot the ball so much. Like you always are the one that shoots it. And he said, well, I'm in the gym twice as long as you are every single day. Why would I trust you to take the shot? And I was like, fair well, point. I, mean, you got, I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Fair point. So I think that it's, it's interesting people like him, like Kobe Bryant, because that like, you know, what he was like, his craft was basketball, right? He was going to be the best no matter what. He was going to work twice as hard as everybody else. And even if you thought you might outwork him one day, he was probably still going to beat you no matter what. But that like that idea, that mentality like transfers over to anything you do in your life, right? Like if you're going to choose something to pursue, be the best at it, right? Because if you're not, I promise you, there's somebody else trying harder than you are to be the best. So um, yeah, that's a great example. Kobe Bryant's a great example of that. 100%. Well, another question that I'll follow up with here is, what are your goals for 2023 for the next five years, the next 10 years? What are you, what are you shooting for? What's, what are you aiming for? That's a good question. Honestly, one of the toughest parts growing up like that I struggle with is I was always, I'm, I'm still this way. Like I'm so concerned about the future, like what's going to happen in the future. How will this decision that I make now affect me in the future career, personal life, whatever it is. And there's pros and cons of that because at times it, it, it affects your ability to live in the moment and enjoy some of the things that life that you don't get back necessarily or those, you know, those memories, which I've gotten a lot better at over the last several years. But, um, 2023, the goal was to just, it's a weird terminology, but just staying locked in. My, my goal right now is to develop myself personally and professionally, but like intently focused on myself, whether that's, you know, I've been in the, in the gym now for think, 
for like, you know, last five months or so pretty consistently. Um, and that's changed my whole mentality, you know, as far as dealing with, you know, maybe work stress or anything like that, like that's changed the game for me, but be intently focused on the, in the next year of, you know, improving myself at a foundational level, because that'll, you know, build me out to the future. Uh, the next few years is kind of hard to say. I think, like I said, I'm trying my best to live in the now and enjoy what I'm doing now. And, you know, my dad has a really famous quote. And uh, if anybody knows my dad, he's a, he's a big runner. Uh, he actually just ran a half marathon this weekend. Um, but he has a famous quote, run the mile you're in, right? There are points in your life that are challenging um, or that you might be struggling in. But, you know, you can't be focusing on 10 miles. You got to focus on the one that's in front of you. He always says, you know, football games played 10 yards at a time. It's not played 100 at a time. So you just got to get a first down. So the goal is to, you know, focus on that next thing, focus on what I'm doing right now and just being good at that. And, um, you know, for me, it's just I, I try to work as hard as possible because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm super passionate about the opportunity that I've been given to work at a, at a family business. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for my dad and his business partner giving me the opportunity to be here. Um, I'm enjoying it. It's, you know, I, I would be lying if I said it wasn't without stress. I'm, I'm, you know, pretty stressed consistently, but I'm, you know, I manage that. Um, but it all comes from a source of passion. So working super hard, um, developing my professional career. Um, and then, you know, it's hard to say, you know, five years, you know, right now our company is intently focused on, you know, we've proven the business model, we've proven the product and, um, you know, the foundational level. Now we're looking at expanding, uh, you know, the goal is to have distribution centers across the Gulf Coast. Um, so that's something that we're working on right now. Um, that's kind of the immediate future. So, you know, being the best at what we do every day is going to be a play a big part in that. And, uh, you know, work's my hobby. So I'll spend a lot of time doing that. But outside of that, I would say um, over the next five, 10 years, you know, for me, like I enjoy what I do at work every day, but there's so many, I still have the entrepreneurial itch and I don't necessarily own an equity stake in this company. I mean, I have a stake because it's my family, but, and, and, you know, my dad's business partner's family, but um, I still have the drive and entrepreneurial spirit to do some other things outside of what I do now. And I'm still exploring those things to decide what I want to do and, um, you know, like you, you're doing the podcast on the, on the side while having a full-time job because you love it and you're passionate about it. And I want to find that thing outside that I enjoy pursuing and allocating time to being able to do that. I think that's something I'm focused on the next year is finding that thing. And then 10 years, you know, I, I feel like this might, if you have another question on this, forgive me, but I'll go ahead and spill into it. But, you know, five, 10 years, over the next five, 10 years, you're really developing the foundation of your life. You know, in 10 years, I'll be 35. And the goal, you know, for life is, I don't know, everybody views their life differently, what they do and how they want to be impactful around those people. But something that's always kept me up in the, you know, at night is on a tangent here is the world, because we have so much access to the news now and, and seeing everything's going on in real time it it's almost puts you in like a really not depressive state, but it's just sad. You know, you, you see a lot of the negative stuff coming out around the world and there's so much discontent between, uh, between people or countries and there's wars being fought and on other continents. And, you know, everybody, ha everybody feels like they have a different 
purpose in life, right? And for whatever reason, I feel that, you know, God has called me to be impactful in some sort of way that leaves a lasting legacy to change, you know, the future. And, and, and to say the world would be crazy, but, you know, um, what, what is, what's the famous Steve Jobs show, quote? Um, usually the ones that are uh, crazy enough to think they can do it are usually the ones that do do it. Yeah. And, you know, I, growing up, I was always super involved in like um, politics and, and I just enjoyed consuming it and watching it and understanding it. And then weirdly over the last four or five years, it's been a totally different thing. It's been kind of chaotic and weird. And I stopped consuming the normal news that I do because it was just like bumming me out for lack of better terms. I mean, that's what they thrive off of is negativity, right? They need clicks, they need people reading their stuff. And I quickly was diabetes that became apparent to me. And pretty much the only news that I consume now is the morning brew every now and then. And then uh, the Wall Street Journal, just for like business purposes and just get like a generic understanding of kind of what's going on from a try to be one of the more unbiased sources. Um, yeah, I think that's been a, a big part of my life is that I just feel like I don't want to be the guy that's sitting on the sidelines saying, well, somebody else will figure it out. Somebody will fix it. Someone's going to have to be that guy. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to be the guy, but I want to help be the guy. Someone's going to have to be the guy. And, um, you know, hopefully I have kids and a family in the future and I want to leave a world that, that I feel comfortable that my kids are in and their kids are in. And, you know, we've gotten so much enjoyment and love out of this world and we've got to experience some cool things or so many beautiful places and some awesome people that we've met. And to do a disservice to the next several generations, to not get that is just unfair and over things that are so trivial. So I think that, that's one of my bigger focuses. I don't really know how to execute on that, but um, hopefully having a successful professional career helps me kind of parlay into that. But I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is, but that's kind of my big goal over the years. That seems kind so of crazy, but. You all heard it here first. Um, Dallin Jones for president 2036. <laughs> I don't know if my mental nah. math there was right, but yeah. No. I, the, the, the terrible part about politics in general is that it's there's so much collateral damage. Like if it's the, the moment you announce right, whatever political offices, whether it's local, there's mudslinging everywhere. People are making up rumors and saying stuff about you and, and you know, your family and friends are like collateral damage to that. Like people get hurt and, and it's just so messy. And like that part of politics just stinks. Like politics before I think now with the information age is the idea was it, it's a public service or it should be a public service. That's like your opportunity to make a change on legitimate policies that affect the future, whether it's your local governments, whether it's your state governments or, you know, uh, national government. And it's just turned into like this nasty mess that people don't even like consuming. And it's so sad to watch sometimes. I don't know. It bums me out, but you would think they would, people would have better hearts about it. No, I agree wholeheartedly, and I wish there was something we could do. I guess based off of your your prior statement there is that there is something we can do, and we should all try to do whatever it is that we have to offer, give whatever it is that we have to offer to make a change for those that will come after us. Yeah, 100%. Whether or not that happens, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. Things are chaotic right now, to say the least. And yeah, for probably sure. are only going to get even more so over the next couple of years, especially as we head into a new 
U.S. presidential election. But yeah, that's always fun. Fun to consume news during that time period. No, it is. Well, Dallin, it's been great, man. I um, I could talk to you for another. We could do we could do a really long, long form. We're podcast, legitimately but, good. Um, is there anything that I should have asked you at dinner that you would like to say that you know maybe I didn't give you the chance to? Um. Uh, yeah, there's one thing I would want to say is, I mean, I talk a lot about my family business and I'm sure it can be annoying at times. Um, and I, I want to give credit to just in life in general, to my family, my parents specifically, you know, um, leaving great jobs uh, or, you know, leaving Houston. My dad left a great job and my mom stopped working so she could raise three kids. Um, but leaving all of that at the that knowing that the the chance to have something amazing or something, you know, impactful is um, super humbling that they would, you know, jump off that cliff together per se and pursue something like that. And without that sacrifice from them, I, I don't think I would be where I am today for sure. And uh, I, when we first started, like my dad, they sold their vehicles. My, my, we have one truck and then my dad and his business partner shared a old white, I think it was like a former ambulance, like a white express van. And they would like pick each other up on their way to work. Like go see, like thinking back on those moments and looking at now is like, I'm, I'm so grateful for, for those sacrifices and the persistency and the, the, the hard moments. And like, that's what people don't see about family businesses is that, it's a, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into that to like build up to what you see on the outside. And, um, I'm so grateful for my family for being one of the best support systems in the world, especially through, you know, hard moments. And, uh, I don't know where I'd be without them. Uh, my mom and my dad are my rock for sure. Um, and, and they keep me aligned every day through all the struggles. So shout out to them for sure. Awesome. Well, that was very sincere and heartfelt and hopefully that sentiment means something to everybody and, Go call your parents if you haven't in a while or if you're not 100%. nearby. Um, well, thank you, man. I, I, yeah. I really, I really appreciate the time. If uh, also thank you to all the listeners, everyone listen. If you guys would want to keep up with Dallin, um, go ahead and give him a follow on Instagram at Dallin Jones. That's at D-A-L-A-N underscore Jones. As always, don't forget to follow the podcast on all platforms at up to the mic underscore pod. We'll see you in the next one. Let's go. Yeah, I'm like an addict. Do I gotta have it? I ain't even playing, got a really bad habit.